This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Facts What She Said podcast. Uh, it's not Maggie Loney, it's Perry Goldstein hosting the show today. <laughs> and uh, I'm joined, as always, of course, by my co-host, Maggie Loney, and we are also joined by a special guest by the name of Grant Bills of the Wisco Sports Show in La Crosse, Wisconsin. What's up, Grant? Not much. This is a really good time to do a Packers podcast. It, like two and a half weeks ago, I was really bored with talking about the Packers. Like, <laughs> fuck stuff, but it picked up really, really quickly. Yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk, to talk about. Um, Grant has me on the show often enough, so felt like it was time to turn it around, have him on our show and get to sort of hash out all the things that we typically talk about on the radio. But I think before we dive into any Packer stuff, we always do this with our guests. We want our listeners to get to know you, right? Who are you? Who's Grant? And to make sure that they follow all your work. So Maggie wrote out this question. I think it's a lovely way to start, which is everyone gets into sports coverage in a different way, right? Everyone has a reason for doing what it is that we do here. So how do you end up on the radio talking about all things Wisconsin sports? Cause you cover the Brewers and the Bucks and the Badgers as well. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I was always like a big sports fan, but I think I like, I was always into like broadcasting. Like I liked listening to radio shows when I was very little, um, TV to an extent too. I remember like in middle school, I'd, I'd get up at like five 30, I'd watch sports center like an entire hour before school every day. So it was always something that I liked taking in. Um, and it's just something that I, as time went on, it's something that I felt like I wanted to get into in high school. I started doing podcasts. So this would have been in like 2015. Um, when I came to lacrosse, cause I didn't grow up here. I grew up up near Eau Claire. Um, and I would do podcasts in high school. And then I got down here and looking for part-time work during college. And I was able to get a gig at a radio station and you know, didn't start in sports. I still work on a music station. I do some other stuff, but I eventually got my way in here and uh, started doing the Wisco Sports Show in 2018. It was only an hour when it started. It's now two hours. We're on in a couple cities across the state. So just growing it little by little every year. Um, yeah, I'd say that's that's how I got into it. Probably imitating people that I liked listening to. That's yeah. probably how I got into doing radio. Probably the best way to answer that. Yeah, and you expanded to Eau Claire, your kind of home area, your home yeah. market this year. Yeah, we need to get on in Kenosha so I can be in here <laughs> and be really obnoxious on her side of the state too. You know, every guest we've had on so far has mentioned like when they were in high school in the mid 20 teens and that's when I graduated from college. So I just, nothing has made me feel older than the guests <laughs> we've had on in the beginning of this year. So thank you, Grant. I really appreciate that. Well, I, um, I, I was listening to your guys' live chat earlier today and you were talking about Favre the first time around. And I don't remember how old you guys were, but I was seven in 2005. <laughs> Yeah, I was in elementary school in 2008 when it all went down. And I remember it. And I remember preaching to my classmates. They were all sad about Favre. And I'm like, yeah, it's really tough to win a Super Bowl, though, with the quarterback taking up a certain percentage of your salary cap. So, like, I was trying to convince my kids <laughs> at Catholic school that it wasn't the end of the world. In elementary school? No, absolutely. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. Then he got stuffed in a locker, like, right after he said that. Yeah, Just- exactly. yeah. yeah I, I didn't get into sports like a lot of my friends did. I have friends who can, like, recall games from, like, 2003, and they can tell you, like, who's on the cover of Madden every year. I wasn't that into sports. It took me, like, I remember 2014 was the year that I really got in, like, 
fully got into it. Um, what a year. Yeah. What an unfortunate year, yeah. What a year. Um, I think something that I want to know, and I, I'm sure our listeners do too, which I find really interesting, is like, this is your full-time job, right? You are have this show, this is your job. So you have to find a balance being on the radio of approaching things objectively because you're not just, this isn't a fan show. Like you're, you're actually kind of delivering the news, but in a way that you, you know, you have your ideas and thoughts about how do you balance the objectivity with also being a pretty passionate fan of Wisconsin sports? That's a good question. I like a lot of my show is very opinionated because I'm on by myself. Um, and I have guests and I have callers, but a lot of my show is just me explaining how I feel about things and making arguments and making takes. And I tell my listeners all the time, it's like, I, I can't imagine you all agree with me every day. Like that's a really unrealistic expectation. But my, like my goal is if you disagree with me and what I say about any of our teams, it is my goal that you can at least hear my logic and I explain myself and you understand where I'm coming from. So that's, that would probably be my answer. Like I give opinions and I give takes, but I always want to be the guy who is able to back that up by saying, I've seen every game, I've read everything, I've gone over this stuff. So even if you disagree, just know that we're both coming from an educated place and we're not just rambling and, and spewing misinformation all the time. Okay, so that is something that I want to know then, because you talk about that you have a lot of listeners and people that call in and texts. What percentage of those conversations are rational because i know when when i write things i i would honestly say maybe like 90 percent of the comments are like oh i understand this or like i i can appreciate this perspective and i have a hard time with what i've heard from the radio hmm. that these are the kinds of takes that you are also receiving so i don't know if it's you or me or the genre as a whole but i yeah that's i don't think i could deal with that every day i think well, i would just go off sure what percent is rational i mean the other day i on monday I lost my mind. So the day before we recorded this, obviously people are listening to this after the fact, but earlier this week, um, I got so mad because it's the Brewers. Like if the Brewers lose a game, everybody freaks out and says it's because they don't bunt. And I don't get it. I don't understand why people do this. Like, first of all, in a baseball season, you're going to like the way you always approach it, you're going to win 60 games, lose 60 games. It's what's hap It's what happens in the other 42. They kind of decides your season. But the Brewers lose one. They could win six games in a row, and then they lose the seventh, and people lose it because Craig Council didn't call for a bunt to be dropped down. And, like, I got mad the other day, and I almost felt bad after the fact because I to my listeners, like, I, I kind of yelled at them, which sucks because, like, I disagree with people who text and call sometimes, and you want to hear them out, but sometimes it's just like, I can't, I can't do it. Um, so the, the takes, like, a lot of tweets are irrational. Everybody on Twitter is just throwing stuff around. If people take the time to text or call in, it's typically pretty well thought out. And even if I don't agree with it, it's it's typically not total trash. Yeah, I've never heard a crazy call in before. Yeah, like I, I can't imagine that someone would take the time to do that. But also, people do crazy things. So well, and like what's cool about sports radio too? There's a lot of up. There's a lot of good and bad in sports radio. But one of the things that I love is that when people like call into a show regularly. Like they almost know that they have an image to maintain. Like, oh, I'm like Mike on the South side. People expect me every other day to, and I like need to make sure I bring it. Like, I don't know if that started with Jim Rome and him doing the jungle and the smack off. Like I, I don't really have that dynamic on my show, but I think people like if they're calling in and putting their name and their voice on the radio to the point where people could hear and like know who that is. I think callers, like they take it to another level for that reason. Twitter is a cesspool and it's fun because <laughs> I have nothing better to do with my life. The phone calls are typically pretty good. I think probably for that reason. Nice. All right, Maggie, you want to dive in? Yeah. Should we um, talk about the Packers? Yeah. So that's what we're, well, that's why we're here. <laughs> talking about the Packers. Um, I want to leave it up to you, Grant. Do you want to start with Rogers or end with Rogers? Let's start with Rogers and let's like get that out of the way with. Love it. That's what we did in our life, too, and it was a good move. Um, All right. Yeah. We have to talk about this, obviously. You can't can't really be talking about the Packers right now without bringing up Aaron Rodgers and this whole situation. So I know your stance is that you're not picking sides, right? There's the blame to go around. I think Maggie and I agree wholeheartedly there. This is not one team did this, therefore the other is mad and that other person is right, right? There's a lot of muddy and murkiness here where both are to blame. But, like, realistically, how do you see this playing out? 
That's the million dollar question. I think I broached this today on my show for the first time. Um, I, I think, I think this is a lot more severe than some Packers fans believe, by the way, like, I feel like we should start with that disclaimer based on what I see and hear from fans on my show. I feel like a lot of fans think that this is like fabrication and this is 100% cap and ESPN is the devil and the national media is the worst. And I think it's probably exaggerated, but this is like, it's legit. There's something there. Peter Bukowski was on um, with the best friend of Cheesehead TV, Bart Winkler this morning. And it's an interview that I caught and he made a, he made a really good point. Like everyone's throwing out percentages, the chance that Rogers will be back. And Pete said, it's greater than the 5% doom and gloom figure that a lot of people are throwing around, but it's probably less than 51, meaning that like, it's not a nightmare, but it's still like, it's severe. Like if you flip the coin, there's a good chance Rogers isn't back. So if you understand that, you can start to think about how the Packers might handle this. I think they're going to call his bluff as long as they can. As long as they feasibly can, they're just going to let this sit Uh, because that's how teams typically handle this stuff, right? Like a lot can change over the course of an offseason. It's nuts to think that June 1st isn't that far away, by the way. I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, oh, we have until June 1st. Oh, that's less than a month away. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. Um, I don't think they're going to trade him before the season. And I think they would go into this season without trading him. And if Rogers wants to sit out, I think they would call his bluff to like the nth degree. I mean, mean, he would have to pay the money. So that would, the, the Packers have no incentive to not other than my thought here is that if it drags into the season, like at what point do you decide that that distraction with your locker room and planning for games is not worth it anymore? Do you think it leaks into the locker room that badly? Yes, of course it does. I can't imagine being a teammate of his and not being affected by this. I think with Bakhtiari and with Adams and maybe with like Zadarius Smith, it could leak into the locker room. But I think with some of those younger players, there might be like, it might become a rallying point. I remember, and this is an NBA example, but Andre Iguodala, after he left the Warriors, went to the Memphis Grizzlies who are really young, really rebuilding. He never even showed up. He just sat out the whole season and waited for the trade deadline to be moved. And I remember at one point, like all of these young players in that young core, like in the middle of the season started just straight up calling him out. They're like, oh, if he doesn't want to show up, like we're going to show him how we play. And like, we're going to do our own thing. Like, I think it could possibly go that way. Although that would be a tough look for Rogers. And I don't think anybody would want that. Like the players on his own team to turn against him. I don't, I don't know that that would be great. I think he cares more about their opinions than and and wouldn't wouldn't do that i mean he always talks about how his legacy is so important to him and that would 100 percent tarnish that and it's just it's really hard to think about like him having a realistic shot elsewhere you know like you look at rosters around the league and it is really difficult when you think about the assets that a team would have to give up, like the Broncos roster is loaded. Sure. But it's not going to stay loaded. If they try to acquire Aaron Rodgers. he's going to lose some weapons. He could lose some key defenders in a trade to green Bay to make green Bay even more loaded. And you know, if Jordan loves, not the guy we were just talking on packs, which he said live about how quarterback friendly a Matt LaFleur offense is. You have similarly in, you know, San Fran, Jimmy Garoppolo did it with Kyle Shanahan. Jared Goff did it. They both went to super bowls under the McVay offense. Like, if you get Teddy Bridgewater or somebody serviceable, they can come in and run the offense. And then you get Jerry Judy and Von Miller and a King's ransom, Nick Chubb, I don't know, or not Nick Chubb, Bradley Chubb, whoever else you steal from the Broncos. It's just, it just doesn't make sense to me that he would go elsewhere when like Perry said, legacy has been the thing from the beginning for him. Well, I like, I was yelling today about how the Packers are being dumb. Rogers is being dumb. And none of this is in interest of winning football games, right? Like this team at the moment has the second best odds in the NFC to make the Super Bowl. The, the Packers are, are at the moment Rogers best chance if he wants to make a Super Bowl this year. And I, like, I thought that was obvious. And I got called a homer on my show today by a couple tweets and callers like you can't believe that I, I do. The Broncos roster might be better, but after a trade, it's only going to be marginally better. And once you're in Denver, you have to contend with Patrick Mahomes, you have to contend with whatever the Chargers are going to be. I'm not as high as Justin Herbert as some people are, but that's still a really good team. And the AFC is the better conference. So the best spot for him is Green Bay. Yeah, and he knows the offense. He knows Matt LaFleur. He he won't have to learn anything new. Also, yeah. 
not to pull this in, but like he's been in Green Bay for how long? He knows how to play in Green Bay. You go up to Denver of all places, mm-hmm. you got to adjust to that too. Like there's a whole lot of things. And I think all of those are probably small in his mind, but I think the major thing is right. Any trade is going to actually deplete a roster, even if he thinks that that's the better place to be to a point where it's probably not even much better than Green Bay. And the environment's going to be tougher in the division and the conference is tougher if we're talking AFC. Right. Like I, we don't need to break down the Broncos roster. My point is, is what Rogers wants and what the Packers want. It's not in the best interest of winning football games. It's about ego. Like they've just kind of let their personalities and their huge egos take over. And none of it benefits the team and it doesn't benefit the fans. Okay. So if it benefits both sides, the, uh, for the outcome to be that Rogers plays in green Bay again, because I think we all agree that that's the case. What does it take to get Rogers back under center? I mean, we, I know we don't know the details and the conversations, but that's where I keep going back to. I think it's obvious, but we're missing something that is clearly either bothering Rodgers or is not the team won't, won't do. You know what's dumb is what, what would take to get him back? What it would take to get him back is so much greater than what the Packers needed to do to avoid all of this in the first place. You right. I mean, absolutely. Like Brian Winston, yes. his presser this weekend was like, oh, in hindsight, I really regret not letting him know about the Jordan Love pick. Like, you think? Like, that was so simple. That was not a huge task that you had to accomplish. And it's these little things over the last few years that would have been so easy. Just keep him in the loop on stuff. Like, ask him his opinion on players. Even if you're not going to listen to it, just make him feel a part of things. Like, it's not that hard. And now you've put yourself in a position where you might need to do drastic things in order to keep him. And it didn't have to be that way. I, I don't believe that he wants Brian Gutekind's fired. I have a really hard time buying that. So we talked about this a little bit too, is then, you know, going into the 2021 season, if Aaron Rodgers is a Green Bay Packer and he's your starter, is Jordan Love on the team? Is there a realistic possibility that Aaron Rodgers is your guy and Jordan Love, whether he sits for one more year and they say, hey, let's go all in. And in 2022, you can go wherever the hell you want and we will trade you there ourselves. Or is Jordan Love gone? Because how do you make that locker room work? even though, you know, I don't necessarily think Aaron Rodgers has animosity towards Jordan Love specifically. And Matt LaFleur has said like, Hey, focus on you. How does Jordan Love go into that team and focus on himself after everything that's happened at this offseason? Like maybe he needs a fresh start more than anybody else, even Aaron Rodgers at this point. If they trade Jordan Love. This is all for nothing. So pissed. We will. I know, but like, how do you bounce back from that? I don't know. I don't know. Perry, do you have any idea on what they do with Jordan Love? Because it's... There's no... Like, if you trade Jordan Love now, you caused all of this strife for no reason. Like, even if they are worried about his development, like, optically, you cannot get rid of Jordan Love now. Because that looks so bad. But what if that's what, like... What if on the flip side of that, you know, like, there are people on Twitter that were like, Brian Gooding needs to come out and be like, I'm sorry, I fucked up. Like, maybe you eat a little bit of crow and like, if that's, if Aaron Rodgers is your best shot at winning and they really wanted like Justin Jefferson or Brandon Ayuk, it's not fair to Jordan Love and the Packers could have avoided this whole thing. But if that is what they need to have Aaron Rodgers under center for like three years, at what point does the front office, when does Mark Murphy say, yo, our bad? (laughs) I, Mark Murphy's, I saw Nagler did a bit on this. I don't know if this was last week or maybe it was early this week, I don't remember, about how Mark Murphy just doing nothing throughout all of this, despite being around in 2005 to 2008 when this went down before, th- that's that's a big fumble. Like, he yeah. really dropped the ball. You, you asked what it's going to take to keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay this year. He, he, regardless of the status of Jordan Love, I think if the Packers want Rodgers back at all, it might have to be for three or four years. I don't know that they can get him back for yeah. the season yeah. and no more. And I don't know that they want to do that. Here's a question for you guys, and it's something I don't know if I saw it somewhere today or I don't remember where. It, everything gets kind of, it all starts to run together. Is Jordan Love, like, secretly, does Rodgers think that Jordan Love is really good? Has he seen things that would lead him to believe that the Packers would actually go to Jordan Love? Because everything we hear is he's never suited up, he's not ready, he needs to develop, and yet Aaron Rodgers thinks it's that big of a deal. Like, he's a principal dude who holds grudges, but he's not stupid. Like, if Jordan Love really is that bad, why is this such a big deal to him? Like, is he seeing something that we're not being told about or we're not we're not privy to. I, I mean there must be something there, right? Because they're they're hanging on to it. And like Maggie said, they they haven't doubled down and 
apologized or come out. And I don't think they would, even if Jordan Love doesn't develop into anything, because again, like optics, but there, there must be something there. There's got to be something there. I think the Packers front office saw it. That's why they drafted him. And Rodgers must see it too in practice. I know that a lot of beat reporters or like guys like Andy who are at training camp said like, oh yeah, it was rough. But it's been an entire year since then. Like there's got to be, there has to be something there. I also think I refuse to believe that there isn't because then that just makes this whole conversation like that much more infuriating. Yeah, I think I think we're in denial as fans, but like, Rodgers gets that. It was really rough for Rodgers the first time around. Like he knows that even a, a great player with great potential who can win three MPs isn't going to always look great in his first training camp. So maybe Rodgers' eyes sees something, right? Yeah. Like something even to us on the outside. We're like, wow, that's rough. And Rodgers thinking, well, yeah, it's rough, but it was rough for me too. I don't know. See, yeah. and I take like I take the reverse approach almost, where to me it's not necessarily what he sees or doesn't see in Jordan Love. And it's just like you said, he's a principled person. And to him, it's he wants to do things on his terms. And I think after everything that happened with Favre, he probably had this preconceived notion that it wasn't going to happen because he went through it and he already lived that experience. And it couldn't be, how could this organization that put him through that turn around and do it. So when it finally did happen, it had nothing to do with Jordan Love from a talent perspective. And I think it's him saying, look, I can play four more years at an MVP level and them, or maybe him realizing Jordan Love is ready in two years. So I think it's to me, at least it's not necessarily Jordan Love or what he can and can't do on a football field. It's just how could we literally repeat this when I just had it happen to me as the younger guy? I also think Rodgers is coming off a season where he won MVP and was playing at the highest level. And he's been saying for a while that he wants to play really late into, into his career like Tom Brady. And so he's voiced it. He said he wants to stay in Green Bay. And then he put his money where his mouth is and went out there and performed on the field. And I guess originally the Packers didn't want to extend him. And I could see how that would piss him off. I could see how he could be like, look at all of these things that I have done. And I've gone out there and shown you what I can do on the field still at 37. And you don't want to commit to me when you know that I'm good. You don't know that this dude is good, but you know that I'm good. Well, let's like let's forget about Aaron Rodgers, the person, for a sec. Like, let's think about the way the Packers draft, right? They have physical thresholds that they rarely stray from. Like, they won't draft someone if they're not this tall, not this fast. No matter how great of a player they are, they have these rules that they stick to. Maybe it's as simple as the Packers refusing to commit to a quarterback once they get to a certain age. Regardless of they win MVP, regardless if it's Rodgers or Favre or anybody, because any other team would see that MVP and say, oh my God, look, he takes care of his body. He's got all the right, he's got all the right traits that we want. He avoids turnovers. Like, but he's just 38 years old. And we're just not going to commit to a quarterback of that age. And I guess if that's the case, it's not personal. They still don't want they still want to keep him and Rogers is gonna be mad about it. But I don't know. I haven't thought about it from that angle. Maybe it's just that he's 38 and they don't care how good he is. They're not committing to him again. Well, I think that's really a unique point, and it's interesting because you look at the Packers historically have moved on from players like a year too soon. If you look at even as recently as Clay Matthews going to the Rams, he had one of his better seasons in the NFL with the Rams. So that, yeah, I mean, what was it? Bart Starr, Brad Favre, and Aaron Rodgers all have played 16 seasons. Like, I have a hard time believing that they'd be like, yeah, that's the threshold, you know, but. But that's I, the way it's worked out. That's just, that maybe that's just how they operate. But the game is so different now. Like you see Tom Brady still playing at a high level. And you could argue Drew Brees probably played a year or two past his prime as yeah. well, which would put him back at, what, 39? But every player is different. And if you don't see any decline... But that's the thing, is that the Packers didn't know that he was going to go out and have an MVP season um, in 2020. But... We can go back and forth on this. By the way, I guess sorry that he did that. I I mean, I'm not mad about it. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's so weird. We're going to go back and forth about this a lot. But I think you brought up something before and it helps with this draft conversation, right? Which is that this Packers roster is pretty Super Bowl ready. And after this draft, I think Maggie and I both feel like the Packers actually drafted a couple players that could play now like they could play this season I shouldn't say now I mean this coming season could feasibly start in 2021 um, and they don't typically draft for need uh, I know that you have some qualms about the way that the Packers draft but cornerback O-line wide receiver all potential starters 
what was different this year? Because this is about the polar opposite from last year as possible. I think two things. The first thing is their needs in the future just happen to coincide with their needs in the present this season, which wasn't the case last year. So I, I, don't, I don't know that they necessarily picked players that they needed to contribute this year. It just worked out that way, that players that they want in the future also are going to fit this year. I think that's one thing. I, I think the other thing that that makes this a more needy draft rather than best player available is they needed a corner. And the Packers love to tell us that they go best player available, best player available, literally until they need a corner. And then they have no issue drafting for need, right? So I think those two things combined make this draft a little bit different than last year. And Eric Stokes, of course, the corner in, in the first round. Okay, so how obvious was the Stokes pick now that it's actually happened? Because mm-hmm. I look at that, I'm like, obviously the Packers drafted Eric Stokes. Like, how could we have not predicted that? And they didn't need to move. They stayed put at 29, which I think was really smart. How do you feel about Eric Stokes? Maggie thinks he needs more development. I think he could potentially start this season. Well, I think they'll always just probably air with Kevin King to start the year just because that's how the Packers operate. They're pretty slow to... To, I mean, look at Rashawn Gary. Like Rashawn Gary was probably better for press, better than Preston Smith for a while, and it still took them a while to come around because that's just kind of how they operate. Er- Eric Stokes is an interesting pick. I-, I like to compartmentalize him into the player that he is, and then the way that the Packers picked him. So, it was like as a player, like he makes their secondary better. He's a good option. Who's really fast. He's got the tools to be a good corner. Obviously, he's not polished because they got him at twenty nine. No corner you ever get there. Chances are is going to be polished. Like, as the player, I really like what he adds to the secondary. You're no longer hoping for Josh Jackson or Kadar Holman or Kevin King. Um, And, like, who's to say, and I don't want to wish this into existence, but I always have to bring this up, what if Jair Alexander gets hurt and he misses a stretch of games? Like, that's something you need to consider. So the player, Eric Stokes, who runs the fast 40 and is tall and is strong, he makes their secondary better. I don't really like the process in which they draft cornerbacks, and that's not the fault of Eric Stokes. And it's nothing personal against him as a player. I just don't really like how they've gone about addressing the cornerback position in the last five or six years, like dating back to Demarius Randall. What was that? 2015. I'm just, I'm not a fan. I can, I can elaborate. I just don't want to talk too long. Like there's no elaborate, elaborate. Yeah. You can't talk too long on the show. I just, the Packers don't draft for need at any position other than corner. Seemingly they wait until the situation is really dire. And then they go way over the top and they end up drafting a corner in the first and or the second round, and then they put all of their eggs in that basket. Like, that was what they did with Randall and Rollins, and it didn't work. I mean, they were okay as rookies, but, you know, that was probably mostly noise and good luck, and then they didn't develop. It worked with Jair, and, well, it didn't work with Kevin King. He played some good ball, but, like, I don't know, it really blew up in that NFC title game, and he's gotten hurt. Jair worked, but he was a top 15 pick after they traded back up after moving back to the Saints. And then, like, Josh Jackson was bad. So I don't like that the Packers wait for their cornerback position to be really depleted and then do something about it. Like, look at the Vikings. The Vikings do a lot of things really poorly, but that's a position they're always feeding. Like, I think corner is one of those positions you need to supplement every year, and I don't think the Packers do a good job at that. What if Eric Stokes isn't any good? You know? then we're back to square one and we're probably taking a corner in round one next year. And I, I like taking corners every year. I don't like having to rely on those corners to be good right from the jump. And that's too often the spot they put themselves in. That's yeah. Fair. I mean, I think if you look to at corner is not the easiest position to acclimate to in the NFL. So, you know, Jeff Akuda went third overall last year and he had a tumultuous rookie season trying to acclimate to playing against guys like Aaron Rodgers in his division and the Vikings lost some of their secondary and they are relying on a lot of rookies and some of them now may not be playing in their second season so it is it is really difficult to think about kind of the expectations that you have and I think that's kind of why I agree with you with the Kevin King thing I I see him starting to start the season, whether they have Eric Stokes in there as a little bit of nickel or they, they rotate him out, switch him up a little bit with Kevin King. It just, it feels really hard to think that they'll put that on his shoulders right away to start the season. Well, it doesn't make sense either. And rookies are notoriously not good. Their first week. I mean, even as fans last season, we were excited to go play the Vikings and the lions because they had rookies in their secondary. So when you apply that logic, you know, you have to apply it to your own team as well and know that you're not going to, and even Jair Alexander had growing pains, even though he started a week one, he ended up being phenomenal, but he also made plenty of mistakes because it's just the nature of being a rookie corner in the NFL. 
And, and I'm not hating on the fact that Demarius Randall didn't really work out. It, maybe we could hate on the Quentin Rollins pick, not on him, but like maybe that wasn't the best selection or the best process. I'd have to go back and look at what was going on at the time. That was a long time ago. Or like Kevin King or Josh Jackson, like none of those picks were terrible picks, but the Packers put themselves in the spot to like need those picks to hit. And corners, like any other position, maybe even more so, where it's just the hit rate is not great, especially when you're picking 25 and later. And the Packers seemingly with corner and only corner, they wait for things to get bad before they address it. And that's just, I don't know. And and cornerback is a really tough position. Like, it has a huge disaster quotient. Like, if your secondary and your corners suck, it's really hard to win football games, even if the rest of your team is really, really good. Like, I guess the rest of the team wasn't good in 2016, but that's probably the prime example of they had some good things going on, but it didn't really matter because they couldn't cover anyone because they didn't have any corners. It's not like if you don't have great linebackers, you can get by. Like if you, you can get by with coverage and you can get by with pass rush. If you don't have good corners, it doesn't really matter what else you have going for you. And it's just a risky position to, to attack like the Packers do it. And it bothers me. That being said, Cool for Eric Stokes. Like, I hope he's great, and he certainly is going to make the secondary better. I just don't think the process is is soundproof by a long. So I have to I have to say this, and I think it is it could just me being galaxy brain, but you just talked about the Packers always drafting corners and doing it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. One thing we've seen is that they always take positions and give them time to develop before they need them. So with the edge rush, they had Zadarius and Preston. They still took Gary. Last year, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones were up on contracts, so they brought in A.J. Dillon. What if they drafted Jordan Love because Tim Boyle's contract was expiring, they needed a backup quarterback who would be there at least four years, and he just happened to be the guy in the first round. Maybe they were going to take a guy in the third, and Jordan Love was the only guy on their board, and they're like, oh, shit, we already traded up. Got to take him. It's you just a find a trade bar- partner to go back, I think, in the first round. <laughs> You're ruining the galaxy brain, Perry. I'm sorry. You're right, Maggie. But I do think it's a really interesting point that Grant makes about they have this process and yet don't apply it to cornerback. Right. It's like a very distinct process that fans get really riled up about too, like this whole draft and develop concept, but they don't draft and develop corners. And it's a really important position. It's a really important. I don't even get that mad when the Packers don't spend premium picks on linebackers. I actually love that. I wish they would spend picks period like before the seventh round, but I don't need a first or a second round linebacker with corners. That's a position you need to be deep and you need to be talented and like, look at the bucks. Like, yeah, their defensive line was nasty, but in that super bowl, it was that secondary's ability to kind of stay sticky on Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey that really kind of, it didn't define that game because the chiefs O line, like, that game's impossible to judge because they, like it was just wrecked up front. But that secondary did their job, right? And allowed that pass rush to work. That's such an important like portion of your team. And when yeah. it's not working, it just sabotages everything else. And I don't know. I, I get concerned. Injuries are a part of the game. And like you lose Jair, God forbid, like what happened to David Bakhtiari happens to Jair Alexander. Obviously, I'm not wishing for that, but like you need to consider that possibility. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, maybe that's kind of why they brought Kevin King back too is who they didn't know who was going to fall to them in the first round. They didn't know where they were going to take corner. Like it could have been a wide receiver situation last year where they liked a lot of guys and the board just did not fall their way. And they ended up not taking wide receiver. Like imagine that happens with corner and you let Kevin King walk. Yeah. I, to, to make your point of the wide receivers, I completely subscribe to that idea. Like I remember taking calls and texts and tweets. People were so pissed. We didn't get Jefferson or Ayuk. I'm like, how did you want them to get these players? The Niners aren't going to open the door. Neither are the Vikings for you. So like, it sucks that those players went off the board right before you. I don't know exactly what the Packers were supposed to do about it. I also don't like trading up for players that aren't quarterbacks. If you can avoid it anyways, like I don't always think it's the best value. I don't think it's a great process. Kevin King, by the way, bringing him back. I don't hate it. I think Packers fans were all prepared for him to come back on a prove it deal. In what world is $5 million for one year in this economy? Like what? Like that's not a prove it deal. Like Casey went for four, unless you're that concerned about scheme and fit and familiarity, I guess. But like there are very comparable corners, maybe some would argue better and like more consistent corners that stay healthy, that went for less money. That, that weirds me with the Kevin King thing. It's the value. It's not the, the action. It's the value in which they took the action. 
Um, okay, so we we already brought up wide receiver. So let's talk about something fun, which is that the Packers drafted a wide receiver. Yeah. They drafted a weapon, and his name is Amari Rogers and out of Clemson. And another one that was just like obviously it's such a Packers pick. Like he's so classic. Everyone's comparing him to Randall Cobb. I think he's definitely a little bit different than Randall Cobb, but there's the connection there with his dad. It's very fun, nice, wholesome story. They finally took a wide receiver. How, how do you feel? Well, like, first of all, I think it's amazing because I have so many people who would like, I'm sure you guys are the same way. If you have friends who are Packers fans, they're like, hey, look at this mock draft I did. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll look. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't do mock drafts just because I, I don't know enough about anything. Um, like, I'm an entertainer. Like, I, I read about this stuff, but like, I mostly react to it after the fact. Like, I don't do a whole lot of stuff with the draft just because it's kind of out of my wheelhouse. It blows my mind that a player that so many Packers fans desperately wanted in their mocks actually went to the Packers. That's pretty cool. Like, you don't see that happen very often. And I saw a lot of people even outside of the Packers media sphere too, like, oh, that fits in Green Bay. Like, that's a good pick. And I think that's typically a pretty good indicator. I don't know where he was on people's big boards or on their value charts. I don't know. Everyone evaluates that stuff differently. I do think it's funny that, I like, the comp is Randall Cobb. And I also heard a bunch that like he's a running back body who plays wide receiver, which is hilarious because I think somewhere Mike McCarthy has to be really vindicated thinking about handing the ball off to Randall Cobb as a pioneer, like using him as a running back. And now the Packers have this comp years later that like kind of fits that same profile. Um, One of my favorite comps for him too is Ty Montgomery because Ty Montgomery got like run out of the state of Wisconsin for his performance against the Rams in 2018. And he would have been such a fun fit for a Malifleur offense. And I know that obviously it was a McCarthy guy and he went off to the Ravens and then the saints and who knows where he is now, but it is kind of funny to think about like a time Montgomery body now coming back into a Malifleur offense, which is obviously a significant improvement over the Mike McCarthy offense that they were running. Two things that I like to think about, like one directly related to Ty Montgomery. If he never would have had to move to running back, like what his career might've looked like. Ty Montgomery is fascinating in that. Like I think about him, if you played his career, like 50 times, if you simulated that career 50 times, like, did we get the best? Did we get the worst? Like what version of Ty Montgomery did we get? Because I think there's different ways that it could have played out. Even if he was drafted five years later, because look at how players like Randall Cobb or Ty Montgomery are used now versus how they were used in 2016. Like Mike McCarthy's version of, and I don't mean to drag on Mike McCarthy, like he's not the coach anymore, but like his version of getting creative with, with Randall Cobb was lining him up in the eye and running him behind center. Like now you look at what teams do with Michael Hardman and Debo Samuel, and even yeah. what we did with like Tyler freaking Irvin, like those, those players just have so much, they have a more efficient spot in NFL offenses now. And I would have loved to see like what Cobb or even Ty Montgomery would have looked like in like this modern NFL with a coach that has kind of more of a use for that type of player who is Amari Rogers, I think, which is exciting. Yeah. Which I guess we will, because this is, I mean, I'm really excited to see the way Matt LaFleur uses him. He's probably amped. I mean, it sounded in press conferences, like they wanted him even in the second round, like they were really high on him because it is a perfect fit. It's exactly what the Packers don't have. They don't really have a true slot guy and they had a filler gadget guy but imagine like a true a true wide receiver taking on Tavon Austin and Tyler Irvin's roles in a much more impactful way like there was very little you could do because Tyler Irvin didn't strike fear into the hearts of defenders in his jet sweep motions but Amari Rogers may that's rude I'm just all right. <laughs> just backs out here, okay? It's no hate. I, I appreciate Tyler Irvin. And for a player who for, for a player who was like not, you know, you're not like out there looking for Tyler Irvin. He did carve himself out a really nice role in Green Bay's offense, which like credit to him. But now they have someone who I think has a little bit more juice. Tyler Tyler Irvin made some plays here and there. It was like, oh, okay, like he's not a he's not a total scrub. Tyler Irvin was successful, I think, mostly due to the role in which he played. Like that, like you could slide a lot of people in there and have him be successful. Amari Rogers would be great. I really wanted Rondell Moore because I think he would have played that role really well too. But sometimes, like, there's just a place in a team where like the role is so well defined where you can slide anyone in. Like, if I don't, I don't know if you guys watch basketball at all, but like the Brooklyn Nets this year, like they're running Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and all these players out of the dunker spot. It's like, well, anyone can stand in the dunker spot on that team right. And give you like 12 and five a game in limited minutes, just because it's that it's set up that well. 
and I'm watching the Bucks and the Nets right now, which is why I think of that example. But like, I think Tyler Irvin was the same to some degree. But if you get a player with a higher ceiling and, and a more athletic player, and you put them in that same role, like that's dangerous. And I like, I really wanted Rondell Moore, a player that I talked a lot about on my show. I think Amari Rogers is also great for all those same reasons. And they got him two rounds later, so I I can't be mad. I was gonna say you can't put Perry or me in the dunker spot because we're both under five four. But I well, appreciate your uh, I appreciate I'm, the reference. I'm really unathletic. I'm tall, but I'd get. <laughs> you you ran cross country yeah i was i was a cardio athlete i was a uh, distance sport athlete yeah cardio no glamour sports for me no all individuals (laughs) individual accolades but no and i think what makes this draft even more interesting when you pair it with 2020 is we're finally going to see what these players look like in their second season. So AJ Dillon is getting a bigger opportunity. Josiah DeGuara is going to come back from his ACL and potentially have a significant role in Matt LaFleur's offense. So as much as we didn't necessarily see immediate gains from the 2020 draft class, we now kind of have the opportunity to, to almost have like two second rounders and two third rounders because we're seeing now another year and what all those pieces can look like in Matt LaFleur's offense, which is Another reason that Aaron Rodgers should stick around and see what happens. (laughs) I think it's an interesting confluence between last year's draft class and this year's draft class, because I think you're going to see players from this year contribute immediately and players from last year contribute more. So it it is interesting. Like my first thought when I saw this draft and looked at it as a whole, my thought was like, I was kind of jaded. It was like, okay, well, why didn't we do this last year? Like, this isn't hard. Just like draft the players you actually need. They can help now and in the future. But then I was like, you know what? It's interesting to think about these players immediately coming in and then being joined by these players who are going to contribute on a higher level from last year. That's exciting. I, I agree with that. It's going to be a nice mix. Yeah. I'm, it all depends on who is under center. You guys, <laughs> Very no. Do you want to talk about the center? Do you guys have take, do you have, uh, is it Josh Myers? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Michael has more thoughts than I do about it, honestly. I just think he's really interesting because I think when the pick was made, Obviously, and the parallels to to Corey Lindsley are so specific. They both wore number 71 at Ohio State, both obviously played center their entire careers. He was drafted exactly seven years later. He knows Corey Lindsley, like they're friends. So I think that was a really interesting dynamic, but more so just the fact that he was drafted as a center, but the Packers won't commit to him necessarily playing center. They're saying he has a large enough frame to be potentially a guard. So does that make Lucas Patrick expendable? Is that John Ronnie Jr. spot? And Josh Myers is going to be your starting center for the next seven years. Does he play left guard? Nelton Jenkins plays center. I just think that, you know, maybe we thought it kind of checked all the boxes as far as what questions it answers. And maybe his selection, because he's so versatile, just poses more questions. Creed Humphrey was another center that I know a lot of people talked about and I've written and I've read about after the fact. It's interesting because like, He allowed more sacks, more pressures. He was like, he allowed more bad stats, more bad plays in a lesser number of games. I like, maybe it's just because he was from Ohio state. I don't think it's, it's inconsequential that Goody went Georgia Clemson and Ohio state with his first three round picks. Like, I, I don't know, maybe this year he's just like, I'm going blue bloods. Like I'm going blue chippers. Like I need to go all in and try to get really quality players in this draft. I'm also glad that, that they haven't locked him in his center because I think spending a second round pick on a center is, I don't think that's a good use of a premium pick. So I was happy when it was reported after the fact, they're like, well, they won't commit to him as a center. I'm like, okay, good. That makes that pick. a. L- I don't know. I just, a premium pick on a center is you're not going to do a whole lot for me. Yeah. I, and if you want to talk about like pretty typical Packer decision making, they typically go after offensive linemen who can slide into multiple roles. And we saw the need for it this past season also. So it does make sense to me that they took someone who they feel like who can play all three spots on the interior. Well, am I wrong? Wasn't Elton Jenkins? I was on the pack a day watch party and I don't remember, but I thought he was listed as a center when he was drafted. Yeah. I'm also just not going to question too much the Packers and their evaluation of offensive linemen, especially in the (laughs) round. I know second round is up there, but like they just hit more often than they miss. Um, and I, yeah. they just find guys and interior positions are easier to fill. So the way that they're able to attack those positions in, in mid to late rounds, I think is really impressive. And it's not something we should take for granted. Like it, the Vikings are starting Dakota Dozier last year at guard. Like the Packers haven't had to deal with that unless it's been because of injuries in a while. Um, so I, it is, 
I, from a value proposition, a center in the second round isn't great. I like that he's versatile, and I'm also not going to question the Packers because they seem to know what they're doing with offensive linemen. So one question I did have after the draft was, you know, even like the Royce Newman pick where he was kind of listed a tackle, the thought was that maybe he would also compete for a guard spot. Is this, you know, like the one more year of Billy Turner and he plays right tackle and then maybe the Packers take the right tackle of the future in round one of next year's draft? Or do we think that, you know, one of these guys could end up kicking out and being the right tackle of the future? Because obviously left tackles locked down. You have a ton, a ton, a ton of competition along kind of that interior, what happens in that right tackle spot? Is it Royce Newman or John Runyon Jr. or Elton Jenkins, or is it something else? Do you think it's going to be, do you think Elton Jenkins is their like heir apparent at right tackle? Do you think that's something that they got in the works? I would prefer that to not be the case because I think when you can get, you know, an all pro guard, you keep the all pro guard, but I could see the Packers, using that to their advantage to not have to come into Billy Turner or to say, Hey, if the draft slides our way in 2022, then we get our right tackle. Perry's leaning in. She has something to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's interesting that we don't talk about the other two linemen that the Packers drafted last year. Like John Runyon Jr. is the only one from the 2020 class that we even talk about in this conversation. I think that says a lot. I know that one of them was listed as a center, so he's still in the interior, which doesn't fix the right tackle spot. But what about the other guy? You know, like what does that, what does he look like this year? And well, he was hurt for a lot right of the year too. I thought Jake Hansen, the center, was the one that was hurt this year. He's the one that didn't make the team. Okay. Which is unfortunate well, for him. I mean, that doesn't say a lot about the two of them. They <laughs> went and drafted a couple more offensive linemen this season. I was going to let the two of you work through that because I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that question yeah. either, Mingy. I don't know. Adam Stenovich will figure it out. That oh, I have. Yeah. That too. Yeah. I always forget about Adam Stenovich. He, I think without Dante Skarnecki in the NFL, you have to feel just about as confident in the Packers coaching of their offensive line as, as you possibly can. And like, I don't know, they just find guys and they move them around and it works. So yeah. of all the things that I can be critical of and worry about, I'm not going to stay up at night worrying about the Packers offensive line. I also don't think here's a hot take. I also don't think offensive line is as huge of a need as a lot of people think. Like, I think there are ways to get around subpar offensive line play. So yeah. if they have issues this year, I like assuming normal circumstances, assuming your quarterback isn't Andy Dalton or like whoever they're able to find. If Rogers isn't here and love isn't ready, assuming somewhat normal circumstances, like there are ways that smart teams can get around a depleted offensive line. I don't think that'll be the case with the Packers, but like there, it. it won't be. And Rogers was getting the ball out so fast last season or faster than normal that it didn't matter as much. Okay, and I I don't want to tank the mood here, but I do have one more question because I know Perry's trying to wrap up because this has... (laughs) It's been 45 minutes and we never have guests on this long, so I don't want to take it. Yeah, how long do you guys normally do this? I was on a friend's podcast a couple weeks ago and we went an hour. He's like, holy shit. I was like, how long do you normally go? Like, 30. It's usually 30. We're just having a great discussion, you know? Okay. But that, I mean, so, okay, so last point before we go ahead and wrap this you talk about ways that you can kind of mitigate maybe a weaker offensive line and big dog immediately comes to mind. He was so vital to Matt LaFleur's offense. If Aaron Rodgers does not return to the Packers, do you think that big dog plays? Does he retire? Does he go elsewhere? Because obviously he'd be somebody that's vital to Jordan love or whoever's back there in the role he plays in the LaFleur offense. But he said like, I told Aaron we're running it back. And if Aaron isn't part of the running it back process. And I'm doom and gloom. I'm bringing the mood down. I want it. He asked about the offensive line and big dog is a huge piece of that. Fair. For like mitigation strategies for a depleted offensive line. You're right. Like they do have a good group of tight ends and that's something you can scheme up. I think that if Rogers doesn't come back and play this year and he sits out, or they trade him. I think we're going to learn a little something about Matt LaFleur. And I think we're going to learn a little bit about green Bay and the culture they have, because if it goes pear shaped and everyone retires, I'm like, look, I think the world of Matt LaFleur as somebody who can scheme things up and create an offense like, and they've been so good. We really haven't had to worry about anything else, but if your quarterback dips and all of the sudden, all of your players come together and that's a rallying point. And guys like Mercedes Lewis and Devonte Adams, who've kind of been tied with the hip with Aaron Rodgers, 
are all of a sudden still all in on the Green Bay Packers, I think that's an amazing indicator that Matt LaFleur really is the guy and could continue to be the guy for a long time and wasn't just some offensive guy to pair with Rodgers to, you know, revive his career at, at the very end, albeit for only two years, which, come on, Rodgers. Come, come back. This team's never made for you, man. Like, come back and play. It's such a good point that we could elaborate on, but maybe <laughs> that is for another time when we actually have to have that discussion and we don't have to have it now because we don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback situation in Green Bay yet. Um, Grant, this was great. We kept you way longer than we normally do with guests. So I'm sorry about that, but we can't let you go without you telling everyone who's listening where to find you, how to listen to your work, how to follow you, all of those things. Uh, I'm a miserable human being on Twitter, but if you want to follow me there at Wisco Grant, the Wisco sports shows on a couple stations, um, probably a pretty safe bet. Um, to go to our flagship station, that's madcitysportszone.com. That's the zone in Madison. So you can listen there. And if you follow me on Twitter, you can DM me or I'll always tweet out links so you can kind of find work there too. And if you don't live in Wisconsin, you can still listen to it via stream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Grant, thanks so much. Sorry Thank about you. the length of time, but this was just a really <laughs> fun discussion and we really appreciate having you on. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks, guys. All right, Maggie. Where can everyone find you if they don't already know? All right. You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. I write for Cheesehead TV. And I am Perry and I are both with the Pack a Day podcast crew. Um, we're contemplating whether or not we're going to have a Pack So She Said live on June 1st. That's our next scheduled date. But that seems like a shitty time, all things considered. So we might uh, we might bump it a week. I, you can't watch this. It's not on video. But Perry just slid entirely off the screen. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay. And you can follow me at Perry underscore Goldstein. Um, follow the podcast at PWSS podcast on Twitter. Once again, follow Grant at Wisco Grant. And thank you so much for coming on. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.